Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome to our study tonight. Uh, We are on Roman numeral 3 in our schedule of the events that take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah. We are on letter K, number 1 and 2, the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the transformation of the living in Christ. Take your Bibles, turn over to Revelation chapter 20. In our last study, we mentioned about the resurrection. I wanted to give you more information tonight uh, about the resurrection. Uh, And there are three great truths that we're going to be uh, looking at concerning the resurrection. Let me read in Revelation 20, beginning with verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and did not receive its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now the three great truths about the resurrection that we are going to see in these verses, first of all, There is definitely a resurrection of the dead. No question about that. Now, what does the Bible mean by resurrection? Literally, the Greek word means to cause to stand up. To cause to stand up. Hence, the raising up of people's bodies out of death, out of the grave. When a person dies, their spirit leaves the body. That's how the scripture defines death, as the spirit leaving the body, as separation. And let me just add, scripture always defines death as separation, not extinction, not annihilation. Spiritual death is the spirit being separated from God. Okay, Physical death is the spirit being separated from the body. When a person dies, their spirit goes to one of two places. If they are a believer, a Christian, it goes to paradise to dwell with God in heavenly places. If they are not a believer, it will go to torment, which is a place of suffering and agony and pain. Now, this is not hell. No one is in hell yet, just like no one is walking the golden streets yet. This is what's called an intermediate state. If you are a Christian, you go to be with God in heavenly places. You're in His presence. You're conscious. It is a place of great joy. It is a place of great bliss, a place of happiness. But it's not as great even as heaven's going to be. Okay? It's a foretaste of it. All right? If you 
are not a believer and you've rejected Christ, you will go to the to torment, which is a place of suffering, but it's not as bad as hell's going to be. All right? The first people to be thrown into hell will be the Antichrist and the false prophet, as we will see later. The Old Testament calls the places of the dead Sheol. The New Testament calls it Hades, same place. Hell, as we think about it, is Gehenna, is the word Jesus used. Hades is the place of the dead. Now, a person's spirit has gone to be with the Lord in heavenly places, and it happens at the moment of death. I personally believe that uh, there's some biblical evidence that angels, for Christians, escort their spirit into the presence of God. People think, well, are they all alone? They were all by themselves. Well, I don't think so as Christians. I think the angels showed up and escorted them into the presence of God. So it's no worry about, well, how am I going to know how to get there and uh, all of that? You don't have to worry about that. Uh, he's going to see to it uh, that his angels come and usher you right into his presence as a believer. And uh, you won't be alone. So when you die, your spirit goes to be with Jesus. Your body stays in the grave. But a time is coming when God will raise up your body out of the grave. And then your spirit will once more invade your body or be joined to your body. That's the resurrection. Now many times in the Bible, the resurrection is mentioned. For instance, in Isaiah 26, 19. We read, your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. And the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. That's the Old Testament speaking of the resurrection. Paul talks about it in several places. One is 1 Corinthians six fourteen, where he says, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. At this point, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is by far the most informative passage in all of Scripture on the resurrection. Paul is speaking of the resurrection of Christ, and he also speaks to the point of our resurrection. In fact, he's arguing with those who would think there is no resurrection, so he's First, talking about Christ's resurrection, because if Christ is not resurrected, then we won't be. But since Christ has been resurrected, and he talks about what the consequences would have been if Christ had not been. But since he is, then we know we are. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 22, Paul tells us that the basis and power for our resurrection is found in the resurrection of Jesus. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, that is, by Adam came death when he sinned, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he would deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So Paul is telling us that death came as a result of Adam's sin. We all know that. God told them in the Garden of Eden if they ate of that forbidden fruit, they would surely die. 
Now, because he was the federal head of our human race, we all have inherited his sin nature, and therefore death has its claim on each of us. And unless Jesus returns first, we each in this room will experience physical death. Yet Jesus was born of a virgin, therefore he did not have that sin nature. Therefore death had no claim on him, and he remained sinless throughout his life. Therefore, death still had no claim on him. If he had sinned only once, death would have had claim on him because the wages of sin is death. So it was necessary to be our Savior that he be sinless in every way so that he would not have to die for his own sins. Now, by his death on the cross, Jesus defeated death and took power over it as he was resurrected on the third day. He's the only person ever to defeat death. Everybody else that was resurrected, be it the Old Testament or the New Testament, had to die again. Lazarus had to die again. They didn't defeat death. Jesus, unlike those resurrections, defeated death never to die again. That's why the Scripture says now he has the keys, the authority of death and Hades. Therefore, it's on the basis of Christ's resurrection that we will be raised from the dead. He's the first fruits. Now, you remember the concept of first fruits. That's kind of the the first of the harvest. It's just an indication of what's to follow. And Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection, meaning he is our proof that we will be resurrected. Because he was, we know that we shall be resurrected. Also, now that brings up the question that we often have, as they had in Paul's day, how are the dead raised? I mean, some have been cremated. Ashes have been spread over the ocean and are no more to be found. Some have been buried at sea and dissolved in the water. Some have been placed in graves and long ago they have turned to dust. So it's natural for us to ask, well, how are these bodies raised? Paul addresses this in chapter 15, beginning in verse 35. He says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed, its own body. So Paul answers that question with an example of a grain of wheat. He says, take a seed. You look at it. It looks hard. It looks dry. It looks dead. There's no picture of life in a seed. We've seen a watermelon seed. It doesn't look alive. It's all black and and once it's dried out, it's dry, and it looks like anything but life. But once that seed is planted in the ground, then life comes forth. It, the green sprout sticks through the ground, and finally you have the full-grown plant. It goes from the dead seed to the living plant. And this can only be explained by the power of God. Scientists know the chemicals and substances that go to make up a seed, and they can put all those together and even make it look like a watermelon seed, but when they plant it, it won't grow because there's a mystery there. 
There's the miracle of life that's wrought by the power of God. Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the body. God will miraculously raise each body from the dust, from the ashes, from wherever it might be. God knows. We may not have any indication where it is now, but God knows, and He will supernaturally raise it up. As it says in verse 38, but God gives it a body as He has chosen. He'll supernaturally bring it forth each person that has died. Every time you plant a garden and it sprouts, that's a witness to the power of God in the resurrection. You ought to think about that. That's a picture of the resurrection, God's power. You see, God specializes in bringing life where there's death. So the first truth is there's definitely going to be a resurrection of the dead. Secondly, there are two different resurrections. The first is a resurrection of the Christians. We're back over in Revelation chapter 20. We're looking at verse 4. I believe John sees three groups in this first resurrection. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Now, I believe these are the Christians of all ages. Those who have died through the ages are here ruling and reigning with Christ. Now, there are many scripture passages that talk about us reigning with Christ in eternity. We might want to write these down and look at them later. Revelation 2.26, Revelation 3.21, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And this might be the one that we're most familiar with as we see them there on the throne, around the throne on their thrones. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, where Paul says, Or do you, not, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's 1 Corinthians 6, 2. And in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus promised his disciples that they would reign with him. So I think that's the first group, Christians of all ages. Second group, John sees, are the martyred saints of all ages. Also, he says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. I think he's speaking of those Christians who have died for their faith throughout the ages. And then he sees a third group. These, I believe, are the tribulation saints, those that have died during the tribulation, because he makes special note. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. He has three groups that he's mentioned. Then he says they. That they refers to all these three groups that he's just mentioned. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We will be reigning with Christ in his millennial kingdom. and We will see this more in a few weeks. But we'll be raised, all three of these groups, and we'll reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now Jesus also spoke of the resurrection of the Christian. John 6:40. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. All right? Jesus said he's going to raise up his own on the last day, those who believe on him. John 6:44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, in John chapter 5, verse 28. An hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now what Jesus doesn't make clear there is there's going to be a thousand year time frame between this first resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the wicked. Two different resurrections separated by a thousand year millennial kingdom. Now Paul also spoke of the resurrection of the Christians in Romans 8 verse 11. Well, he says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give light to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. Therefore, the Bible clearly teaches that there will be a resurrection of the righteous apart from a resurrection of the wicked. But when will Christians be resurrected? Paul tells us again, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, he gives what I believe is the order there of the resurrection. We saw this a moment ago. He says, but each in his own order, meaning each will be raised in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Christ was resurrected first. Then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Right? When Christ returns, then those who are dead will be raised up, resurrected. Those who are living will be transformed. Right? That's the second group. Then comes the end. And I believe he's speaking there of what John has told us in Revelation 20 of the time period after the thousand-year reign of Christ when then the unbelievers will be raised up. Now, what kind of bodies will we have? We're still in 1 Corinthians 15. And there are several things. First, Paul says the resurrection body will still have your unique identity. We're looking in verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 15. For not all flesh is the same. In fact, no two people are the same. Even my boys that are identical, DNA, are not the same. So, trust me, no two people in this world are exactly the same. That's what he's getting at. Not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For the stars differ from star in its glory. What's he saying? He's saying that everything is unique. Whether it be animals, whether it be planets, whether it be stars, people, we're all unique. And I think what he's saying is this uniqueness that we have in this body that makes us the individuals that we are will also be present in our resurrected bodies. This is one reason I believe we will know people in our resurrected bodies. That essence that is you will still be you in eternity. Our resurrection body will be as uniquely different as our physical bodies are now. We're not going to be just a clone and all look alike in our resurrected bodies. 
Just like you're different now than everybody else, there's still going to be that uniqueness about you, even in your resurrected body. And thus, I believe we'll be able to recognize each other. Now look at Jesus in his resurrected body. They didn't recognize him at first, did they? But then once he spoke, once their eyes were opened, they recognized who he was. So he didn't look exactly like he looked in his earthly body, but at the same time, there was enough about him that was the same that they could recognize him when given some clues like when he spoke, when he did things. That's the first truth. Second truth, your resurrection body will be much more glorious and splendid than your present body. Much more glorious and splendid. Now he goes back to that seed. All right, you plant that that hard, dead-looking seed. All right, take a daisy seed. I guess does daisies grow from seeds? A bulbs. Okay. All right. I'm not a flower man. I'm, I'm a little concerned about any man that knows more than five flowers. But anyway, uh, here you have uh, a seed that looks dead, not attractive. Put it in the ground. It begins to grow and sprout, and then you have a beautiful flower coming from that seed. Now, it came from the seed, but when you look at the flower, you see that it's different. It's the same, but it's different, right? You can't say it's not the same as the seed because it came from it, but yet it's different. I think that's what Paul is getting at. Just as the flower is more glorious than an old dead-looking seed, so your resurrection body will be more glorious and splendid than this body that you have now. All right? It'll be from this body, but yet it will be much more glorious and splendid than this body. Third, the resurrection body will be perfect, imperishable, incorruptible, and mortal. Excuse me, immortal. All right? Look at verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. That is what's buried. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So here he tells us in particular ways that it's going to be imperishable. There'll be no aging, there'll be no deterioration. You will stay the same throughout eternity. I said, I believe you'll be resurrected at whatever age you were the best. Some of us at different ages. But whatever was the best for you, you're going to be at that age and you'll stay at that age through eternity. And I think those who who were babies or those who were young, then when their body's resurrected, they're going to be at that perfect age for them as well. Again, incorruptible, will not decay. Uh, It will be glorious. It will be powerful. No abnormalities, no deformities, no taint of sin. We may have had a leg removed in this life, but it'll all be there and be perfect when we're resurrected. The person may have been born with deformities. That'll be done away. They'll be perfect. The bodies have been laid in those graves and sickness will come forth perfect. Paul says God will transform the body of our, our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, right? We saw that over in Philippians 3. And it will be a spiritual body, not limited to the physical. 
realm. Remember, Jesus went through walls and closed doors when he was resurrected. So it will not be a spirit like a ghost. Not that way, because remember, Jesus ate. He told him to feel him. He wasn't a ghost. There is a sense in which we're physical, but yet not. We're not limited by time and space. I believe we'll be able to travel at the speed of light, if not faster. Fourth truth. No sin nature to pull us into sin. Hallelujah. No desire to sin. Totally free from all temptation. You wouldn't even want to sin. I could tell you sin all you want. And you wouldn't sin anyway. Also, you'll be able to eat all you want. It won't gain a pound. But I'm convinced we'll still enjoy eating. Because as, you know, it talks about the uh, the wedding feast and all that. So we'll have all the good things with none of the negative things. And we'll have, and we'll be reigning with Christ during this thousand-year kingdom in these glorified bodies. You want to see Jesus? You'll just that quick be able to go over to Jerusalem, travel that fast and be there. Just that quick. Uh, so it's really indeed glorious. So that's the resurrection of the righteous. Third truth, there is also a resurrection of the unbelievers after the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now we're back in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. The rest refers to those who are not Christians. The Bible is clear that those who are outside of Christ will be raised, but not to everlasting life with Him. Daniel 12, 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. I believe this resurrection is seen in chapter 20 of Revelation in verses 12 and 13 at the great white throne of God's judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is a book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So here we have the resurrection of the unrighteous, the resurrection of the Christ-rejecting, the resurrection of unbelievers. And their resurrection is going to be totally, absolutely different than the resurrection of the righteous. The resurrection of the righteous, our bodies have been redeemed through the blood of Christ. That's why we're going to come forth perfected and glorified and powerful and incorruptible and imperishable. But these unbelievers' bodies have not been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Their bodies will be raised up, decayed, diseased, corruptible. It will be a horrible sight, unimaginable, because their bodies will be vile and full of corruption. They will literally be the walking dead. 
And these souls will be raised up to face the great white throne of judgment. That's why John says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. The second death is spiritual death. Those who are resurrected in the first resurrection, those who are believers, those who are Christ blood-bought children, the second death, spiritual death, has no hold on us, has no claim on us. And that's why he says, blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. But woe to those who are a part of the second resurrection. And to those who are listening over the Internet or on CD, the question I've got to ask you is, which resurrection will you be a part of? That first resurrection, those who have place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who have been bought by His precious blood, those who have surrendered to Him as their Lord and Savior, or those who have rejected Christ, who've only known about Him but not known Him personally, have never surrendered all to Him. That ends our study for tonight.